Good morning. How are we doing? A special good morning to the baby section. How are we doing, baby section? Very good. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, very quickly. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Listen to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We know that the word of Jesus was faithful as we continue to read uh, in the book of Acts because in Acts chapter 2, the power of the Spirit does come. It rests on them mightily. And what happens? Well, They stay true to Jesus' word. They become his witnesses there in Jerusalem. It moves out from Jerusalem into all Judea, just as Jesus had said. It even moves out from there and goes to Samaria, the place where you would think the gospel wasn't going to go because the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. They they thought them half-breathed. They thought them unworthy to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But the power of the gospel moves out from Jerusalem to all Judea into Samaria and even beyond that. And that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. We've seen the gospel go to places that we thought it was never going to go. We've seen it cross barriers that we thought it was never going to cross. We've seen it do things we never thought it could do, but the gospel is unstoppable, and it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and throughout the ends of the earth, and because of the persecution, it gets pushed out to this place called Antioch. And so what we've seen over the last couple weeks is the very first Gentile church plant, non-Jewish people starting a church in Antioch. And so what do they do? Well, they send our good buddy Barnabas. You remember him. He's the guy all throughout the book of Acts that has been referred to as a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. They send Barnabas there to this church plant, this Gentile church plant in Antioch to check on it to see how it's going. We know Barnabas is the great encourager. So you know that Barnabas gets there to Antioch. He sees these people who are not Jewish people, but they're loving Jesus, singing to Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And he just begins to encourage them in the Lord. He realizes that there's a piece missing. What's that piece missing? Not only do they need encouragement, but they need a great teacher. So what does he do? Well, he goes and gets his good buddy Saul or Paul. He brings him there to the church in Antioch. And they begin to not only get encouragement through Barnabas, but they begin to get great teaching through the Apostle Paul. Right? And so the church is planted. There are great leaders there. And so now, what happens next? I mean, the church is planted. They've got these great leaders. The, the word of the Lord has been fulfilled, right? I mean, Antioch, that's, I mean, that's pretty far away. That's to the ends of the earth, isn't it? They, they have planted this Gentile church outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, beyond Samaria, all the way to Antioch. All has been completed. All has been done. And they've got these two great pastors, Paul and Barnabas. What's next? What's left for them to do? Well, Sit back and relax, right? I mean, enjoy the ride. Why not enjoy the fruits of their labors now and just get into maintenance mode until the Lord returns? I mean, you can imagine this Gentile church playing Antioch. They probably had put together a great-sounding band. 
You know, they probably had restored their facility and it looked great. They probably had put together great children's programs. They probably had a great sound system. They had cool chairs, great environments. Everything was going well. And so now this church plant in Antioch should, like most churches, now shift out of the mission mode and into the maintenance mode. What do I mean, maintenance mode? You see, this is what many churches often do. Listen, this is what this church is in danger of doing if we're not careful. We can shift out of the mission mode. You see, when a church plant gets started, okay, when, when you start a church from the ground up or there's a new work happening in the church, it's exciting. Why is it exciting? Because it's new, right? you, you got to get people in place. There's momentum associated with something new. And so people jump on board and people get involved and people give to it. But then once it's up and rolling, what happens? Well, then, then you just kind of maintain it as it goes. And so the danger becomes you end up talking more about what the Lord has done instead of waiting in anticipation for the, what the Lord is going to do. Listen, we need to celebrate what the Lord has done. The Lord has done so many great and amazing things here at this church. But listen, I'm excited about what he's going to do. Not just what he has done. Praise God for what he's done. And we want more, don't we? And so as a church, we can't shift into that maintenance mode. We've got to be in mission mode, anticipating what God is going to do today and tomorrow. Listen, we, we, we can't become a church that, that just begins to, okay, now we're in maintenance mode, so we just want to hoard all of our income. Now, now we're a church that, that is established and set up, and so you know, let's take all of our income and build a really healthy bottom line. Listen, I, I am not opposed to saving money. As a matter of fact, we have savings, okay? But we've got to take kingdom money and put it to kingdom use. And the sad thing is there are churches everywhere closing their doors with hefty bottom line. I mean, they, they got tons of money, but they've just been sitting on it and not using it for the kingdom. And, and oftentimes when we get into that maintenance mode, the teaching from the platform becomes way more inward focused than outward focused. Look, I, I am for marriage series. I am for uh, how to get out of debt. I am for how to raise a middle school. I'm, we're, we're good with series. We just got done doing a marriage series. But the teaching from the platform must be centered in what the Bible is about, which is the gospel and gospel proclamation and gospel growth in the hearts of believers. And seeing that gospel growth in the hearts of believers then move out to create mission, which is sharing the gospel with non-believers. Amen? So what's so amazing about this text today What's so beautiful about what we see in this church in Antioch is not a maintenance mode, okay? Not a, let's just maintain. The church is planted. We've been obedient to God. We've done what he told us to do. We've done what he asked us to do. So let's just sit here and wait till he returns. That's not what happens here. By the grace of God, they don't get stuck in maintenance mode, but they move into mission mode. As your pastor and on the behalf of the leaders here, we are committed to being in mission mode, not maintenance mode. Did you see what happened in the text? They're fasting and praying. They don't know what the Lord's going to do, 
but they're anticipating he's going to do something. And so they begin to fast and pray and say, Lord, what would you have for us today? What would you have do, uh, us do next month? What would you have us do next year? What would you have us do five years from now, God? We, we want to be moving forward as your church to spread your gospel, not content with it being us four and no more close the door. We want more of you, and we want to see your gospel and your kingdom advance even more. Here's where we're headed today. We will see the church in mission mode. That's verses 1 through 2. Okay, so, so we're going to see them in mission mode, mission-minded, thinking about advancing the gospel and seeing the church grow and expand. Okay, that's where their head's at. That's where their heart's at. They send people out. Okay, they, they are not tightly held to and tightly clung to every single member. See, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, uh, Pastors' egos won't allow them to send people out. Uh oh. <laughs> Sometimes the, the leadership's ego will not allow the church to send people out because then those great leaders or the numbers just won't be there like they were. But this church says we're committed not to just be a big giant church. Okay, and listen, we want to be a big giant church. But they had a greater commitment beyond that, which was to send people out to see the gospel spread and advance and plant more churches. Okay, So uh, we'll see the church in mission mode. We'll see them send people out. There's some opposition. Okay, That's, that's a normal thing. When the gospel goes out, there's opposition. But God triumphs. Okay, that's, that's where we're going. So they send people out, verse 3, there's opposition, and verses 4 through 8, God triumphs, verses 9 through 12. Okay, here's my whole sermon. I hope to say this a thousand times today. I don't have three points, I have one point, and I hope to say this one point a thousand times. Here it is. God is faithful. You can trust him, so keep going. God is faithful. He said, I am going to see my word preached in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and throughout the whole ends of the earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples in all the nations, teaching them to obey all of I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. He has a mission for his people, and he is faithful. You can trust him, meaning when he says, I want you to live this way, meaning I want you to obey the commandments of the New Testament. I want you to get in rhythm with me. I want you to get in line with the design I have for your life. And as a matter of fact, it's way better for you. When he says those things, you can trust him. Even though the world is saying, even though friends are saying, even though family members are saying the contrary, you shouldn't give money to the church. You shouldn't spend all your time up there at that church. You shouldn't share your faith. Let people believe whatever they believe. You don't want to impose your beliefs on anybody, do you? Even though the world is calling you not to trust in God, even though people are calling you, even though maybe family members are calling you to not trust in him, to not trust in his word, I'm telling you, he's faithful. You can trust him, so keep on going. The people at this church in Antioch believed that. They believed. He's faithful. God is faithful. And listen, we can trust him. 
We can trust him. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep telling people about, uh, uh, about Jesus. We're going to keep planting churches. We're going to keep on going because God is faithful. We can trust him. The truth is, <clears throat> I need this word today. And I know it's just me. I, I know I'm probably the only one um, who, who often needs someone to grab me by the shoulders and look me in the eye and tell me I can trust him. I, I know I'm probably the only one in the room whose heart is so quick to shift sometimes and say, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him. I don't, I don't know if he's faithful. My heart wants to do that so much as, as the mission gets difficult, as it's hard to live the Christian life. And listen, it's hard. It's hard to be obedient to God. It's hard to live the Christian life. Is there great joy in it? Yes. But it's hard to do it. And so oftentimes, I would rather believe that God is not faithful, that he's not going to come through, that he's not going to work everything together for my good. And so I need to hear this message today. And so my, my plea for you this morning is that you wouldn't run past this. It's, it's such a simple message. God is faithful. You can trust him. Listen, you can trust him. So keep on going. Don't let the simplicity of it move way beyond your intellect. Don't listen to it and say, of course, he's faithful, I can trust him. Don't let the simplicity of it be lost on you. As a matter of fact, let the simplicity of it do even more to sink into the depths of your soul. He's faithful. I can, I can trust him like I, re I really can. I, can. I can trust him. I can trust his word. And because of that, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. Verses 1 and 2. Now, there were in that church at Antioch prophets. A, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. They hear from God and they speak for God. Now, in that church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Okay, those are people who then open up the Word of God and expound upon God's Word. They were Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, so they have this church set up. Everything's going great. They've got two great pastors, Barnabas and Saul. They've got the encourager. Not only the encourager, but they've got the teacher. And they begin to build up more leaders. They, they add to the leadership. And, and again, if you're thinking about Paul and Barnabas, I mean, why add any more? I mean, the encourager who, I mean, he sold a piece of land and he laid all that money down at the feet of the apostles. I mean, he's the guy that, that even brought Paul into the church. And I mean, he, he's this great encourager, the older, more godly guy. You've got the younger guy who's, I mean, just sharp as a tack. That's Paul. He's the great teacher. 
Well, they begin to add leadership and build essentially the elder board here in the church because they were anticipating a harvest. They were anticipating a harvest. They said, we got to have more leaders. We believe that God has planted this church, and because God's planted this church, that means he wants us to reach people. And because of that, there's going to be a harvest, and we're going to need more pastors to love these people, to serve these people, to teach these people. So let's raise up some leaders. They weren't in maintenance mode. They were in mission mode. we got to train leaders because we want to love and serve God's people because God's going to bring in a harvest. So that's what they began to do. They believed that God was faithful. Uh, they knew that they could trust him to build and plant the church, so they started raising up these leaders. Uh, quickly, let's look at the diversity and the plurality of this group of guys. Okay, So you have Barnabas. Again, he's the encourager. He's, he's the older guy. He's the guy who's established in his faith. He's been in the church for a while. He's been loving and serving Jesus for a long time. Then you have Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, if you look down in your footnotes, that word Niger means black. So we're assuming that this guy is a guy from North Africa, and he's an, uh, a black man. Okay, so so this is not just an uh, uh, an, an elder board or a group of guys um, who all carry their ESVs. Uh, they have Bibles and tattoos. Okay, this is a diverse elder board. In addition, they had Lucius of Cyrene. Not much is known about this guy, but we do know from uh, Romans chapter 16 uh, that he is actually a kinsman of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so he's a family member of Paul. We're assuming that Paul got saved and then begins to share the gospel and some of uh, the Apostle Paul's family gets saved. That's Lucius of Cyrene. Menaean, this guy's very interesting. He is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. You guys remember Herod the Tetrarch? He's the guy that chopped off the head of John the Baptist. So this guy... Okay. This guy, Menaean, was uh, he was possibly a half-brother, uh, maybe a, a childhood friend, but essentially they were raised together um, in the, the court of the officials. So, so he grew up um, very well off. He grew up very well educated because he grew up uh, with this guy, Herod, the Tetrarch. And last and certainly not least, there is Saul. You want to talk about a diverse group of guys. You've got guys who were raised in the official courts. You've got the Apostle Paul who has the best education in the world. You've got the guy from North Africa. You've got the guy who's been in ministry for a long time and has proven himself to be faithful. This is a diverse group of guys working together to see the church grow and flourish because God is faithful. They knew they could trust him, and so they just kept on going. They grew their elder board. It wasn't just one guy in charge. Okay, So, so you're asking, who's in charge? here at this church? Uh, well, it lists the leaders there as a plurality, not as a CEO top-down model. That, that's not how the church works. That's not how the church is to function. Here we see a group of men working together to set the course and the pace for the church. That, that's what we see um, here in this text. 
Okay, so this was a diverse group. It was a plurality of leaders. These guys have different backgrounds, different income brackets. They have different customs, but they are all one in Christ. Paul tells Titus in uh, 1.5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might appoint elders, not just one elder, but elders in every town. And this becomes the biblical pattern of how the church should grow and how the church should be set up, run, and governed. Okay, So what were these leaders doing? This diverse plurality of leaders, this diverse plurality of elders in this church, what are they doing? Verse 2, while they were worshiping, worshiping. Listen, if you ever uh, decide, I don't want to go to Gospel Community Church anymore, and you go to another church, you need to ask this question. Do these leaders love Jesus? Now, that's a very simple question, but it's often a question that's missed. Do these guys love Jesus? What's happening here? They are driven to worship. Why are they driven to worship? Because they love Jesus. If your leaders don't love Jesus, you can't cultivate a church that loves Jesus, can you? It becomes really, really hard. So the leadership of the church, their hearts must be in passion and on fire for Jesus so that they can inspire the people to then love Jesus. So these guys are driven to worship Jesus, love Jesus, and serve him. Now, what's very interesting is that other translations uh, will say it this way. It'll say, and as they ministered to the Lord. So some of your translations will say, um, while they were worshiping. Other translations will say, while they ministered to the Lord. Now, what this is referring to is the official work of the church. That was the leader's worship. The elders' worship was conducting the official business of the church, meaning the teaching and the preaching, meaning the shepherding of the people's souls, and then the oversight, the general oversight of the church, making sure that it's functioning. What that's saying there is these guys love Jesus so much that they wanted to teach his people, shepherd his people, and oversee his people, and that was their act of worship. Okay? So... That's what's happening in the church. And lo and behold, what happens? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This is so amazing. What happens is Jesus, okay, Jesus appoints leaders in the church. Jesus appoints elders. Jesus appoints missionaries. Jesus appoints deacons, and what we see here in this text is now the Holy Spirit is revealing who Jesus has elected. Let's look at it from Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Here's what it says. And he, referring to Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. How does the church figure out who its leaders are going to be? Well, the church doesn't appoint them. Rather, the church recognizes them. Jesus appoints, the Holy Spirit reveals, and the church goes, yep, that's how that works. So here for us, we're not going around saying, hey, would you like to be an elder? Hey, would you like to be an elder? What, what we do here is we are simply waiting for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us a man who is already eldering. 
You guys get that? So here's how the biblical pattern of appointing leaders in the church should go. Jesus appoints them. He's in charge. What do we say here all the time? Who is the senior pastor at this church? Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is in charge. Jesus appoints the elders and leaders of the church. The Holy Spirit then reveals that to the people, and the people go, man, that, that guy's a leader. Jesus has appointed that guy because it's been revealed to them. And then what happens is the church lays hands on them and installs them because Jesus appointed them and the Holy Spirit revealed them. You guys with me? You aren't bored yet, are you? We've got a lot more to go. Okay, so that's what happened and is happening here uh, in, in this text, okay? So, uh, let's take a look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Wait a minute. Let's pump the brakes here. The Holy Spirit couldn't have set apart Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they're the best guys. They are the best leaders in that church. I mean, how is that church going to survive? You can't send out your best leaders, can you? I mean, this is, this is suicide for this church. What are they thinking? Here's what they're thinking. God is faithful. We could trust him. So let's keep going. Yeah, we're going to send out our best leaders, and this church is not going to fail. And if it does fail, well, that's because God's plan was for it to fail. And it's not necessarily a failure. It's only a failure by man's sight. It's not a failure by his sight. So God's faithful. We can trust him, so we're going to keep on going. God set apart these men to do this job, so we're going to send them out in joy and gladness, trusting that God has a plan, and he's going to work all this together for good. So they were not scared. They were not shy. They took their two best guys, the guys who had shown up there to be the pastors, to, to, to get this church up and off the ground, to set leaders in place, and now these guys are now going to go out and do it again. God is faithful. And you can trust him. They trusted him. You can trust him. And so they kept on going, seeing the gospel advance. I want to ask you this morning, what is the Spirit calling you to do? The Spirit set these guys apart. The Spirit made it known. This, I want these two guys. I want them to leave out of here, and I want them to do this. Listen, God... <clears throat> God isn't sitting in heaven um, holding a piece of paper um, that has written down on it what you're supposed to do, and he's going, I know what you're supposed to do, guess. No, you guess wrong, guess again. Nope, guess again. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to show you. I'm just, this is my paper. I'm, I can see it, but you can't. Guess what I want you to do. Nope, you guess wrong, guess again. But so oftentimes, that's how I hear Christians talk, and that's how we often feel. God, will you just tell me what to do? I don't know what you want me to do. If you, just tell. He's telling you. He's telling you in his word. He's speaking clearly through how he has made you. He's speaking clearly through your leaders. He's speaking clearly through family members. The question is, what are you gifted at? What do people encourage you? When, when, okay, if somebody says, man, you're just such a good listener, then that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to listen to people and help them. Are, are you a good leader? Are you a good listener? Are you a good teacher? What are you good at? Well, that's probably what God's trying to tell you to do. What's the Spirit calling you to do? Now, trust God, okay, because God is faithful. You can trust Him, so go do that. 
Again, that seems very simple, but we see it here in the text. The Holy Spirit set these guys apart. I want them to go be missionaries. They laid hands on them. Boom, they went to go be missionaries. But so oftentimes, God calls us to maybe go in the back and help out with the kids' ministry. God calls us and, and urges us in the service to say, man, I, I, I want to talk to Phil Danford about being on the band, or I want to talk to somebody about being a member of the tech team, or maybe the Holy Spirit is urging you to be a community group leader, right? Encouraging you, pressing you in your soul to become a member of the church and get more involved, but you resist him. Don't, don't resist him. Obey the Spirit. What is the Spirit calling you to do today? And let me encourage you, God is faithful. You can trust him. So go do that. So go do that. Okay? So, these men um, are sent out as missionaries. The Holy Spirit does not uh, sit in his armchair and send them out and say, we'll see you when you get back. The Holy Spirit accompanies them on their journey as they go out to be missionaries. Let's take a look at verses 4 through 8. So being sent out by the Spirit. Okay, wait a second. Did the church send them out? Because in verse 3 it says the Spirit sent them out, and then the church laid hands on them. Again, remember how it goes. Jesus appointed them. The Spirit acknowledges it, right? Then the church lays hands on them and sent them out. So they are sent out by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit with the church behind them. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, probably because Barnabas is from Cyprus, so they wanted to go to Barnabas's kinsmen, Okay. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island uh, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, or Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The church is in mission mode. They send these guys out to spread the gospel, to preach the gospel, and here they come upon some opposition. Like I said, they likely go to Cyprus because that is where Barnabas is from. He wants to go tell his kinsmen, his mom, his dad, his brothers, his sisters, his family. He wants to go tell them the good news of Jesus. So they head to Cyprus and they do what they normally do, which is go to the synagogues first. Okay, because these guys know their Bibles. They walk into the synagogues and say, hey, you know that guy Isaiah was talking about? Well, he's here. Okay. He came, the Messiah is here, and they would proclaim that message in the synagogues and then move out from there. They come across this guy, okay, Bar-Jesus or Elimus, and he is a magician, okay, not, uh, not like saw you in half, pull a rabbit out of a hat, okay, not, not that type of magician. Uh, here it more or less means sorcerer. It means uh, someone who uh, is a medium for the dead. Okay, that, that type of guy. Uh, here's a good example. The type of guy that you've seen on TV that does this deal, they'll say, um, uh, is anyone in the room uh, recently had a relative who died? You know, and, and, you know, of course, in a room decides that they're, oh, yes. Uh, was it uh, an, an older person? Yes, it was. Oh, how smart. He knew, you know. Uh, did he drive an automobile? Yes, he did, you know. Anyway, those type of morons that ask 30 questions, okay, 
they ask like 30 questions and, and through, you know, that type of deductive reasoning, they can say, you know, oh, I've, you know, your granddad. Oh, you knew it was my granddad. Yeah. And he's saying that he loves you and he's sorry for all the things that he did. And you're going, oh, you know, the people are crying and, you know, God bless this guy who spoke to the dead. Okay. That's ridiculous. Um, and, and obviously in several texts, the Bible uh, strictly forbids that, that type of activity, trying to communicate with the dead or anything like that. This is what this guy is like. Okay, so, so again, not rabbit out of the hat. This guy is, is a sorcerer or medium who communicates um, with the dead. Here's what makes him really, really dangerous. It says that he was a Jewish false prophet. Okay, here's why that's so dangerous. This, this is a, a very typical tactic of Satan. To, to take a little bit of truth, okay, take a little bit of truth, and, and you just slide the lie right in. Again, as, as we talk to Mormons, they, they can be very convincing. Oh, yes, we, we believe in the Bible, okay, and the Book of Mormon. Okay, so, so that's the, yes, the Bible is true, and, and we're going, yes, we believe the Bible is true also. There's the truth, and then they slide in the lie. This is the same thing with Islam. Oh, we believe Jesus is a great prophet. This, this is the same thing with Jehovah's Witness. Again, it's all a little, just a little bit of truth and to quickly just to slide in the lie. So this is what makes this guy so very dangerous. Okay? His name is Bar-Jesus. Don't get confused by that. Um, Bar in that language means son of. Jesus was a very common name. Okay? So his dad's name was Jesus. Again, it's a very common name. David, Joshua, you know, James. Again, these are common names. So this guy, uh, some people called him Bar-Jesus. His name is Elamus, which actually means wise man or sorcerer. That's why it says this is how uh, his name is translated. Okay, so he is an advisor to who? Well, this guy named Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Now, that was very curious to me this week as I was reading this text and studying through it. Okay, so here we have the weirdo uh, kook, uh, you know, magician, and then he is an advisor to Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Now, wouldn't the man of intelligence not have this crazy whack job on his advisory team? If he's a man of intelligence, right? That, to me, that was an obvious question uh, in the text. Well, uh, here's what I wrote in my notes. Sometimes really smart people listen to really stupid people. Okay? Sometimes really smart people. This is a man of intelligence, and he's listening to this nut job. Okay? Sometimes really smart people, sometimes people of intelligence will listen to really dumb people and take advice from people they have no business taking advice from. So, I'm, I'm totally on a rabbit trail right now. I realize that. I promise we'll get back. Now, before you take advice from someone, before you ask advice from someone, or before you listen to the advice that they gave that you didn't actually ask for, but before you use the advice of anyone, here's a really simple question to ask. Does this person live a godly life, and are they giving me advice that is encouraging me to honor Jesus? Is the advice that I'm getting from this person, whether I ask or didn't, is the advice I'm getting from this person do they live a godly life, meaning it honors God? And is their advice encouraging me to honor Jesus and be faithful to him? Okay? If the answer is no, don't listen to them. Why? Because godly people will give you godly advice, and God is faithful 
You can trust him. So just go with that. Now, why the opposition? Okay, so they get into town. Paul starts to preach. People are liking the message. This guy, Sergius Paulus, hears, hey, these guys are in town. I want to hear the word of God. And now the magician, Bar-Jesus, he, he is opposing them. Well, I mean, again, think about it. What happens if Sergius follows Paul and begins to hear the gospel and get saved? Guess who's out of a job? Well, the magician. I mean, he's going he's gonna to kick that guy off the advisory board. Rightfully so. So he begins to oppose him. Now, with the opposition, what should they do? Here they are. They've been sent out by God. The church laid hands on them. They've been preaching all across this island. They finally get to the proconsul, which is the governor. Okay? They finally get to the governor, Sergius. But now there's this guy who's opposing them. I mean, they might as well give up and go home because this magician has the ear of the governor. And if they can't get the governor, then, I mean, all is lost. Did they give up and go home? I wonder why not. Well, it was because God is faithful. They knew they could trust him. I mean, God has sent them out on this journey. The, the church had laid hands on him and sent him out. They knew God was faithful. They knew that they could trust him. So they kept on going. Verse 9 through 12. But Paul, who was also called, uh, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Okay. I want, you, I want you to get this picture. Okay, so, so there they are. There's the magician. He's saying, no, no, don't, don't listen to these guys. These guys are crazy. And there stands Paul. Now, uh, if you know about early church history, they give us a description of Paul. Uh, he wasn't very tall, so he's a, a short, uh, round guy. Uh, he was balding. He had beady eyes. He was bow-legged and had a crooked nose. Not an attractive man, to say the least. And there stands this guy opposing him, and all of a sudden, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives him the eye. He begins to glare at him. Now, if you've ever been, you know, a kid around your mother in a store, and you're acting up, you know, she gives you that eye. You, you know what I'm talking about. She looks intently at you, right? Imagine that times ten, because it's Paul, and he's filled with the Spirit. And he gives him the eye. And what does he say to him? He says, well, let's just agree to disagree. We could talk about this later. Verse 10. And he said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? He calls him a son of the devil. What does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of John 8, 44, I believe, where Jesus stands in front of the Jewish leaders and says the same thing. Your father is the devil, and he is the father of all lies. You're a liar, is what Jesus tells the leaders. And Paul here tells this guy the same thing. You're a son of the devil, meaning you share the attributes of the devil. The devil is the father of lies, therefore you're a liar, is what he's saying. He also tells him that what he is doing is he's making crooked the straight paths. Meaning this, 
all that we're saying about who God is and what God has called us to do, you're making it to sound as if these things are unprofitable and unattainable. Now, how many of us have been in a conversation with people who have taken the straight path of the Lord and make them crooked? How many of us have been in conversations with friends or family members or, or, or we've been trying to share our faith with a coworker, and that coworker takes the straight paths of the Lord and makes them crooked or takes what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be and makes it seem unattainable and unprofitable? Why would you ever give your money to the church? I mean, why would you ever live your life this way? I mean, you sure do give a lot of time to the church. What about time for just you? You know, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're happy, and that's the most important thing. Again, taking what God has called us to do, which is live lives of great sacrifice for him and his church, and saying, no, you gotta live for yourself. You gotta live for yourself. That's what he began to do. And so Paul, listen, not flying off the handle, okay? This isn't some type of just zealous anger. This is Holy Spirit-empowered zeal, okay, that drives him to say and call it like it is. You son of the devil, you are full of villainy and treachery, and will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? Verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, <clears throat> mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. The one who had closed his eyes to the gospel, the one who had shut his spiritual eyes to the light of the good news of Jesus, he had his physical eyes shut and he had his physical sight taken away from him as a punishment on him. Now, what I find incredibly gracious about this text is that God didn't kill him. God should have struck him dead. But he doesn't. God does what is incredibly gracious. You see, it kind of brings to mind another guy who was struck blind. <laughs> And for three days, the apostle Paul was blind and was brought to his knees and accepted the gospel. And so here, in great kindness, God doesn't strike the guy dead, but rather he renders him blind to show him through being physically blind, I'm trying to show you you're being spiritually blind and not accepting the gospel. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether or not this guy does come to faith. We don't know. But I find it incredibly gracious of God that he does this, that he takes the man who was trying to lead away the proconsul. He was trying to lead the governor away. He was trying to lead this guy away from the faith, and now he's the one who must be led by the hand. This is a great grace of God. This is God being faithful to his mission, to say, I sent out Paul, I sent out Barnabas, I sent them out to preach my word, I sent them out to see people saved. And here's this opposition, but God is there and he's faithful and they could trust him. And so they kept on going. And listen, um, just for, as a disclaimer, this text is not a go and do likewise, okay? Uh, this is a do not try at home type text. Uh, Paul is obviously under the influence of the Holy Spirit here. He's also operating in his apostolic office. Therefore, he gets to call down blindness on people, 
Okay, so, so don't do that to your boss on Monday. Probably won't go well for you. But, but here is the truth, again, that we can pull from this. Just like in that text, it's the same in our life. God is faithful. We can trust him. So let's keep on going. Let's see the result, the very last verse. Then the proconsul believed. God triumphs. God triumphs. He won. He won on the cross, and he won here, and he's going to win again and again and again, and he's winning in Fayetteville, and he's winning in Georgia, and he's winning all across the United States and all across the world. God is winning. He's winning. He, he already won, and he's still winning. God triumphs. God is faithful. We can trust him, and he's winning. So let's just get on his team and keep on going. Then the proconsul believed, and when they saw what had occurred, <clears throat> uh, he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In close this morning, I, I want to talk to um, three groups of people, and uh, in a way, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, capture uh, everyone at, at least at some level. Okay, I, I, I want to talk to the person in the room this morning that um, is really excited about ministry. Okay, um, you're here, you're, you're serving the church, you're plugged into a community group, and you're loving it, and things are going great. And, and, and you're just so excited to, to give towards the mission. You're so excited to share your faith with people. You're so excited to be a member of this church. I'm, I want to talk to those people, and, and here's what I want to tell them. God is faithful. You can trust him, so keep on going. Just, just keep on keep loving Jesus, keep serving Jesus, keep giving towards the mission, keep going to your community group, keep sharing your faith, keep serving in Gospel Kids, keep serving in the tech booth, keep serving in the band, keep serving the city, keep on going. Why? Because he's faithful and you can trust him, so keep on going. Keep on going. I, I want you to leave here. If you've come encouraged this morning, I want you to leave even more encouraged to keep on going because God is faithful and we can trust him. The second group I want to talk to um, is those who have come in this morning uh, and are fearing, feeling weary and battle-worn from the life of ministry. And listen, when, just for clarification, when, when I say ministry, I'm talking to every believer. I'm not, I'm not just talking to, to people who are paid staff, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm saying every believer is called to labor in the ministry of Christ, okay? So if you've come here this morning... Um, and, and, and you're just weary. You're just tired. Okay? Community group, when, when, when I go to community group on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or Saturday afternoons, it just feels cumbersome. When, when I get out the checkbook to give, I'm scared because I'm not sure if I can trust him with my finances. When my coworker is asking me for advice, I don't feel like bringing up Jesus. I'm weary and I'm tired. And when I'm scheduled to serve back in the kids' ministry, when I'm scheduled to serve on the band, when I'm scheduled to serve in the tech, when I'm scheduled to serve in greeters, when I'm scheduled to serve in the city and they're asking me to walk in the parade, all that stuff, it makes me feel weary and tired. And I'm just at a place right now to where I don't want to do it. Okay, I, I want to talk to that person. 
And here's what I want to tell you. God is faithful. You can trust him. So keep on going. Keep on going. I know it's hard. We are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. And by keeping on going, by being faithful to him and the life that he's called us to lead, I promise you, I promise you, you can trust him. And what he tells us is, by leading this life of sacrifice, we will find our greatest joy. So keep on going. Keep on going. Third group of people I want to talk to, I want to talk to the people who are just totally on the sidelines, okay? So, so when I say you feel wearied about going to community group, you don't feel wearied about going to community group because you just don't go at all. <laughs> when I say you feel wearied by serving the church and being plugged into all these ministries, you go, I'm not wearied by that because I don't serve the church at all. I'm not a member of the church, or maybe I am a member, but I'm just sitting on the sidelines. When you talk about not wanting to share Christ with your coworkers, I'm there because I don't do it at all. Uh, I, don't, I don't give. I don't serve. Uh, I barely show up here on Sunday mornings. Okay? I want to talk to that person, and I want to tell you this. Maybe you can guess what I want to tell you. God is faithful, and you can trust him. And so get going. God is faithful. He was faithful all the way to the cross. He was faithful to take your sins, the sins of your past, your present, and your future. He was faithful all the way to that cross to take those sins onto himself. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your filth. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take what you did in college. I'm going to take what you did last week. I'm going to take those thoughts that you have. I'm going to take all of that, and I am faithful all the way to the cross to take those onto myself and see them crucified, nullified, and forgotten forever. He's faithful to do that. And you can trust him that if you believe that his death was for you, you can trust him to save you. You can trust him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You can trust him to empower you for this type of sacrificial ministry that we're talking about. So let me just close with this. God's faithful. You can trust him. So let's keep going. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this great text in which we see this church in Antioch send people out which we see this great opposition, but they didn't fold, they didn't flinch because they knew that you were faithful. They knew that they could trust you, and so they kept on going. And so for us as a church today, Father, I pray that we would never slip into maintenance mode, but we would be in mission mode, advancing the gospel. Father, I pray this for the families in this church, that the families would not slip into maintenance mode. I pray this for the single people in the room. Father, that we would never, never settle and we would keep on going knowing that you have a job for us to do. You have a mission for us. You have a great message, which is your gospel, which is that Jesus died in our place for our sins. And we are ambassadors and heralds of that message. That's our job. That's what you're calling us to do. That's what you want us to keep on going with. And so I pray that you would empower us through the mighty power of your spirit to see these things become a reality to see this church grow to see more people baptized to see more babies come into this church 
to see more marriages turned around, to see more people who struggle with addictions be set free, to, be, to see more people who have been abused and broken, to see them mended and put back together. That's what we want, God. We want to see more. We're anticipating now as a church what you're going to do tomorrow, what you're going to do next week, what you're going to do next year. So pour out your spirit, God. Pour out your spirit. And we'll keep on going. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.